How's your boy? Thank you for asking. Is there anything we can do? Thanks for asking is enough. So what are your plans? Is this about buying out my tracks here? Yes. The cable was about my Coyote Hills lease. We'd like that too. What's your offer on Coyote Hills? We'll offer 150,000 for full title. That's a deal. What's next? We'll make you a millionaire while you're sitting here from one minute to the next. What else would I do with myself? Are you asking me? What else would I do with myself? Take care of your son. I don't know what you would do. You've got an ocean of oil under your feet with nowhere to go. Why not turn it over to us? We'll make you rich. You spend time with your boy. You just tell me how to run my family. Might be more important now that you've proven the field we're offering to buy you out. One night I'm gonna come to you inside of your house, wherever you're sleeping, and I'm gonna cut your throat. What are you talking about? Have you gone crazy, Daniel? I, I heard what you said. Why did you, you say? Don't tell me about my son. Why are you acting insane and threatening to cut my throat? You don't tell me about my son. I'm not telling you anything. I'm asking you to be reasonable. If I've offended you, I apologize. We'll see what I can do. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSplantation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. We're actually uh, back for a second week in a row. Don't normally do that when it's off off season. Um, but it was, it was important, uh, especially because we want to keep with the dry January themes as well, right? Because you're, you're, you're finishing up dry January right now. Uh, Today. Today's the dead, the end of the day dry january season you like that I, I i think i sent you that one um video where the guy was like well i'm doing dry january but uh whenever something comes up like a party or something like i could yeah, yeah. Borrow, borrow days back, you just, yeah just backdate it just backdate it it's fine it's cool uh which i do <laughs> i like the idea um i i could use that myself and then uh you know i'll catch him in the rest of the 365 no problem just, just spread them out don't worry this one's bad i thought you're doing dry january don't worry I'm borrowing from March. <laughs> it's actually a good idea, you know. Yeah. But that's there's too much math involved with that like, trying to figure out. Uh, you know out what? Like, I I think I'll you know I'll, I'll borrow out into July. There's going to be a day in July that I'm not going to be participating in drinking. Okay. Oh wait, it's the nation's birthday. Got to drink all night. That's right. I'll listen I, to that luscious pour mine out right Listen now. to that nice <laughs> luscious pour. That's right. Um. Yeah, so uh, we knew what we wanted to do for this episode, um, whereas sometimes we don't, and we don't plan it out, or we just kind of figure it out. But we kind of wanted to move into a, a movie that would be sort of similar in style to the, a Western, and yet, as you mentioned um, before we got on there, an anti-Western, one that technically signals the end of the Wild West and moving into more um a more civilized time frame uh structured and the rise of the uh railroads the rise of um industrialization and the rise of oil 
And um, this is a, a movie that's kind of interesting for me because when it came out, there was a, a lot of talk about it. It you know, obviously was uh, nominated for Oscars. And I've never been a big follower of movies that are coming out that year and like Oscar bait and things like that. Uh, you mean, so, what do you mean you weren't lining up to see the King's Speech? Well, t- to be honest with you, that's that's not just the King's Speech, but every year, every year, I'm like, every year I feel like there's maybe like one Oscar nominated movie <laughs> that I've actually seen that year. It's just like the rest of them just flew right on by me. Like I didn't, I don't, for whatever reason, I just miss out on it. And uh, the same was true back in 2007. <laughs> Um, it's kind of sad saying that now because I literally doubled the age of in 2007 when I was 17 years old um, and we were in, we were seniors in high school um, when this movie came out. But back in 2007, I did not experience this movie and it took me 17 years to actually finally see it. Um, versus you, did you see it at that time where you you were in on the the craze, the, uh, you know, pop I culture saw, references. Yeah. I saw it like the year later. I, oh, I, didn't okay. see, I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it in, uh, first year in college. Caught it. I, it was I the mean, same thing with the other film that was also in like the, us, uh, you know, that ended up winning best picture that year. No country for old men. I also saw that too. And like, what was one of the first films to watch in college? Cause it's like, Oh, I'm in college. I got a lot of downtime now. And, <laughs> unlimited streaming i mean bootlegging of stuff well what can i you know what might can well, i do might as well check out some stuff and to be fair that's the same thing that i did my first year in college i watched a whole lot of shit and started my website and <laughs> just started doing that day after day after day um so yeah it's how i say that's how i got back into anime during college it's like right. I, got, I got downtime between classes there's a lot of it was a yeah. good time to experience stuff yeah, yeah. um but we're talking about Juno. 2007. Yeah, yeah, Juno. Uh, no, we're talking about 2007's There Will Be Blood, uh, which is based on the Upton Sinclair book, Oil. Not Oil. Oil! Because oil! there is an exclamation yeah, point. Yeah, really, yeah, it's really pronunciated there. Um, which I, by the way, I've never read. Uh, being a literary, uh, you know, English lit, major never read it <laughs> wasn't something included in the syllabuses so i didn't uh end up reading that one which but i would like to i've never actually never read an upton sinclair novel um he's got like a hundred of them yeah never never read any of them so um kind of same thing yeah. with like richard kipling too like you know missed out on some of the biggies i think that's something that they could uh try to cram into the curriculum um, like a historical lit, not like, you know, at like the high school mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that'd be something cool if they started doing. It'd be hard. To, you couldn't, you couldn't do it really in English or history. Cause you know, you got too much to cram in, but I think like, as like an elective, like, Hey, you want to like get like, you know, more, you know, details on these certain topics. We're going to read these books throughout, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. however long the course is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that uh, too much of the time, there's not a lot of time spent yeah. on some of the classics that should be read or f- focused on, and a lot of other time spent reading stuff like 
I am the cheese. <laughs> you, what, you, I'm not how, saying that's how dare you say it's a bad, bad book, but by any means, it's been a while since I've read it. But um, I am just saying that I did feel like, at least in my from my perspective, I didn't read a lot of classics um, that I probably should have. You know, I've, I've still never read some of the classics like Don Quixote, never read, um, you know, some and there's a lot of classics. So somebody's idea of a classic is not always everybody else's but um there are some gaps in from what i've read that i you know think should be filled Um, well that's why like in 11th grade for us like that was like the year i probably read the most actual books because i usually was dreadfully bored by a lot of the book choices Mm -hmm. 11th grade we got a lot of we did get a lot of historical licks we got like all but my life the holocaust story we got to read uh, all Quiet on the Western Front, uh, mm-hmm. which is also one of my favorite books of all time. You know, Huck Finn. Uh, no, yeah, Huck Finn we got to read. So, like, mm-hmm. that, we got, you know. American C- Yeah. You know, Caesar, you know, so another, like, for, at least for Shakespeare that year, we, you know, we got something, you know. Yeah. So. But back a little to. Tangent. <laughs> little side, little, little curriculum talk there. That's, that's right. Back to uh, There Will Be Blood, though. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I don't know why I never ended up actually watching it. I even had a roommate in uh, college who was a huge, huge Daniel Day-Lewis fan who basically espoused his love of Daniel Day-Lewis in pretty much every film he was in. He'd seen everything. And, you know, obviously at that time, There Will Be Blood was a big part of that as well because it had come, when I was in college, probably had been out for two years when I eventually met this guy. Um, but I don't know why I never really caught it. Um, for whatever reason, it just avoided my radar, but, uh, here we are 17 years later, uh, reconciling that. And, uh, I'm glad I saw it. Glad I've finally gotten to experience the, uh, pop culture references that I didn't know about till now. Um, so, I mean, as a historical film, this one's right up your alley, right? Yeah, it's all the things I like. It's got, uh, you know, it's got history. It's got, uh, you know. Daniel Day-Lewis, which I love. You know, he does a great job. Always. Uh, nice Western setting. No. And is American-style history one of your favorites? Yeah, that's that's what I... It's like a specialty of yours? Yeah, that's what I specialized in when I... For my college degree was american history for teaching mm-hmm. so yeah and right. also to one of my favorite periods and to kind of you know study about and talk about is you know reconstruction america and then the gilded age afterwards so oil barons robber barons yeah uh so industrialization of yeah. uh previously country living which i think we get yeah. to see quite a lot of in uh mm. there would be blood of yeah. the uh the changeover between uh where these people are living in and you know the west versus what the goal is mm. <laughs> to kind of <laughs> muddy and cloud the landscape a bit um and how they react to that it's all kind of part of that um that experience and then also you, you kind of like get this silver and gold dip there too, because at the beginning of the movie, it starts out like in the late 1890s 
silver and gold uh silver rushes of uh New Mexico. Yeah. So you kind of get kind of get a little of that too. It's kind of it's kind of got all of it. So nice. Um all right, let's before we get into the movies, there's a lot to talk about. Let's let's take a break. Let's talk about the the beer that we have on the show today because today we've also struck oil. But we've struck it in a different manner. This is the oil of Ireland that we're talking about. Um we're talking about Guinness's new 0% non-alcoholic stout. Uh, which I think is I I think is fairly new, right? I've been seeing ads for it fairly recently, as though it's just come out. I I don't recall it being out previously. Yeah, I think it's pretty new. So they're we're, hopping on the train. That's right. We're 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 uh, right there with them on the bandwagon here for Dry January. Um, so I've been seeing this one, and I've wanted, been wanting to do this one, and you were able to grab it the other uh, like last week. Mm-hmm. And um, this one is. Basically formulated exactly like a regular Guinness, even has a nitro widget in it that the normal Guinness cans have. So, you know, it's meant to basically be a, you know, nice uh, swap out from your normal Guinness. Um, So I'll let you go first. What do you think about this Guinness 0% with uh, at least 0.5% alcohol in it? I know the zero on it's very misleading. It's just, <laughs> it makes you think it is like, oh, it's one of those that NAs that's zero percent, like like Heineken zero because Heineken zero is zero percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so. yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing too. Yeah, you do need to be careful with some of that, especially uh, people who are like pregnant, because I remember when my wife is pregnant and we truly were looking for some zero percenters ones that had zero percent alcohol in them, and you got to be careful. All of them that say, yeah, we're not alcohol. Yeah, zero zero percent. Uh yeah, they still got a little bit of alcohol, and Guinness is one of them. It's a misnomer there. Yeah, it's, it has the the giant zero in blue, and then underneath it, you know, non alcoholic draft, and then after, underneath that contains less than point five percent. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, well, so I don't drink Guinness that much anymore. I did used to drink it quite a bit, like right out of college, because I mean, it is when you start the craft beer train it's one of those things that like you know it's like your first dark beer that you have that you have after drinking some natty lights and you're like i'm a refined man now i have guinness it's the dark heavy beer Mm -hmm. i i definitely relate to that (laughs) and then then you drink it and you're like this is heavy Mm -hmm. and then like you as you like you start drinking more and more stuff you're drinking like this thing isn't heavy at all it's four percent alcohol. It's light. It's you know. It's you know. It does have the chocolatey, biscuity you know notes of a stout, but it is very light, easy to drink. Kind of a little bit watery mouthfeel because of the nitro widget and stuff. Yeah, but it is what it is. Like you know, it's 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 Guinness. So this is what it is, and I've accepted that. You know, and because of that kindred spirit, you know, ship on my craft beer uh, journey. It's kind of like the same thing with like anything with Sam's or Saranac that they released. It's new, even if it's stupid. I still have to run out and try it to be like, oh, is this any good? Um, and Guinness used to do that quite a bit. Cause if you listen to our early episodes, there's a lot of stupid shit like the Baltimore Blonde and the IPA. And you remember the IPA? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, like Black Lager. So they still do that. 
But it's been a while since I've had like a regular Guinness. However, after drinking this 0% non-alcoholic 0.5% Guinness beer, it's very similar to a Guinness. In fact, I think this is probably one of the better NAs that I've ever had because it is very similar to Guinness. It's, you know, chocolatey. It's biscuity. It's got a watery mouthfeel. It has the nitro widget. It's nice. It's light. It's easy drinking, yet you still get those dark notes to it. It's really, for an NA and like for Guinness, it's darn good because it's pretty similar to what a Guinness draft is like. So I like it quite a bit. I wouldn't go out of my way to get it because, again, if you, you might as well just get a regular Guinness and drink the 4% alcohol on it. But no, this is pretty darn good. I like it quite a bit. It's very like, you know, it's been like two years since I've had like a Guinness draft, but it's, you know, tastes the same to me. Yeah, I mean, like you, I I also kind of, it was like a gateway beer for me. Um, so I, I remember distinctly like going out to a restaurant uh, and being like, I'm so excited to get Guinness on draft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so sitting just, there rub, sitting here rubbing your hands as you're waiting for your two for 20 at applebee's like oh, oh i can't wait yeah getting guinness on track um yeah i definitely remember things like that like it being a gateway beer and and thinking yeah this is a you know it's a really i i like it it's nice and dark and you know a lot of people think like ah dark beers gotta be bitter and you know like coffee right <laughs> And it's not necessarily like that. Guinness is like that. Guinness is like, it's dark, sure. It's got that nice malt flavor to it. Nice uh, nice chocolate flavors to it. Uh, but it's not, it's not like dark. It's not like having like, you know, blackened chocolate or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, it's very light, refreshing to drink. Um, and it's got, you know, an, a fairly thin body to it for the most part. Uh, which means that you could drink more of it. And, you know, that's not always a bad thing for sure. It's kind of like, especially Americanized version of Guinness is um, one that is kind of meant to be palatable and uh, easy to drink. So it's not always a bad thing. And um, it is good to to have it at, at during certain occasions. And of course, you're not always in the mood to be pounding a 12% stout either. So there's a there's a reason why Guinness does, uh, you know, make itself nice and uh, refreshing for for those drinkers. So I'm not saying anything too negative about Guinness, um, and I do still enjoy it from uh, you know now and then. Uh, and so this Guinness Zero was something that I thought was interesting. And trying it now, like right away, first part when I first had it, I was like, huh, you know, this is pretty thin. It's kind of watery. It does have that approximation of the like the malt character that Guinness has and a nice chocolatiness to it, but it was kind of missing like. You know, some of that flavor is definitely very thin, but the more I drink it, the more I kind of like, you know, get warmed up to it. Uh, it definitely f- tastes like you're basically drinking a Guinness. And I think that's kind of the best thing about this is that it really is a good substitute for Guinness. Like you swap them out, you really wouldn't know that much of a difference. Um, maybe a little bit thinner on this side. And, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to taste them side by side and see exactly how like the mouthfeel matches up. But I would say that this is a very, very good substitute for regular Guinness. And if you're looking to have, you know, all the Guinness with 
mostly no alcohol, this is a great offering for you. Um, I think that it it really does a good job of approximating that. Whereas, like we said with the other IPA that we had, um, you know, that is kind of like an IPA, but you could definitely tell that it's not quite there. This Guinness is like basically like a, a normal alcoholic Guinness. It's there's really not too much difference. I think that's a really good idea um, to have around, especially if you're looking for the Guinness flavors, but you don't want all that alcohol. I think it's you know, really solid in terms of a non-alcoholic beer getting to the heart of what makes Guinness taste the way it does. So really interesting. Um, I would get it again. If I was, you know, doing a non-alcohol thing. How much, how much was it? Um, just curious in terms of if you were comparing it to a regular Guinness. It was the same as Guinness. It was like 11, yeah. 11, 11 bucks for a four pack. Basically the same as Guinness. So, and I got that at Walmart too. So, cool. Well, I mean, I definitely would, you know, if, you, if you're looking for a non alcoholic beer, I would give this a recommendation. Check it out, see what you think. Um, I definitely could see this substituting for a regular Guinness. All right, back to There Will Be Blood. Just uh, before we get into the movie itself, what, what do you think of the title, There Will Be Blood? Well, there is blood. <laughs> um, I will say <laughs> that I think like at the time when this movie released, There it's Will a- Be Blood really sounded like it was going to be another torture porn like Saw movie. Because <laughs> Saw always had those kinds of taglines yeah. like, there will, <laughs> there will be blood. So it, it was kind of like an inopportune time to have a it movie is, named. It, like is a, movie, it is a better name than oil because that would make you think, especially with the Iraq war going on, like, oh, great. It's going to be just, you know, some assholes down in Iraq looking for oil. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, to, and to be honest with you, I've, like I said, I've never read oil, but I believe that There Will Be Blood is only like rudimentarily based on oil. Like the idea is kind of based on oil. Like the opening parts loosely. Are based on oil. Yeah it's, yeah, it's loosely based on. But Paul Thomas Anderson's script really kind of <laughs> from there takes it in a much different direction than the rest of the book is what I've seen. The movie could have been called Family Man. Oh, uh, I, th- I think there was already a Nicolas Cage movie by that name at the time. Yes, there was. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think that would fly either. You know, that's also a Nick Cage movie that I've seen, like, in, you know, enough times. That and The Weatherman. The Weatherman, yeah. Wow, so that's another good one to do on the, for the show at some point, The Weatherman. I always really like that movie. It's been a really long time since I've seen that one, too. But yeah, uh, There Will Be Blood. It's a good title, and I love the movie poster for this. Just It's just, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis in his suit and his hat with a nice, you know, menacing look and i love that tan sandy color you know hat he wears you know just looks great on him and, and you know what you're great. getting into. and he look and he, and he looks great with that mustache too you yeah. know with how much of a thespian and character actor daniel day lewis is he went into time back to 1898 and sat around with a bunch of people he's like Oh, I'm an Irishman from the future. And I'm here to learn your ways. Teach me the ways of being a prospector of this time. But he well, came back this man. 
Well, you know, rumor has it that the film took so long to to make because Dana Day Lewis, you know, went through a variety of different mm-hmm. products trying to get that luscious, thick mustache in, and eventually settled on Miracle Grow. <laughs> that was the, that was the the turning it's, point, you know. It's men like that that sport such a thick and wonderful mustache. I I ask God every night, what did I do not to be able to have that? I know. Why, why is why is my mustache more serial killery than you know <laughs> oil oil tycoon? It's. I, I mean, I have a pretty nice mustache. I will admit, like I I personally th- feel like my mustache is nice, but it's definitely not as thick and hearty you know, and, you know, steak-like as <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis's. <laughs> Mine, you know. We we have mustaches. They're not London broils, yeah, but, you right. know, they're like, a, they're like a ribeye or like a chuck roast. I was, was going to say, a nice, my, mine's more like a, a, nice, a lanky lamb chop than a, you know, a regular <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice porterhouse. Got a nice flat, we got flat house, uh, flat iron <laughs> uh, cuts. For uh, mustaches, he has himself a nice, you know, filet mignon. You know? Yeah. Or if you'd prefer, you know, it's pan seared to a nice grilled, <laughs> <laughs> grilled cut. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, like I will say, like when the this movie opens up and you first see, you know, the the nice twenty minutes of Daniel Day Lewis, you know, as a younger man and the prospecting for silver and gold and then eventually finding it and be- becoming you know the um you know the man who's going to start digging for oil um you get to see this ruggedness to Danny Day Lewis that is just kind of like it makes you jealous makes you, uh, it makes me jealous you know seeing him in his nice little you know underalls digging um uh, you know in the shit basically it's like, wow, I could only wish to be so rugged. Falls down, breaks his leg while discovering the silver. In yeah. That opening 15 minutes, drags himself out of that fucking hole and off to camp. And so he can get it, you know, and prospected. And it's not just any fall either. It's like a fucking 15 foot fall. Yeah. Through a shaft, basically, that he's dug out. And, you know, like it's it's great, too, because that opening scene does really make you feel all kinds of anxious you know you first of all you're underground you've got him falling through falling down and then he when you do see him eventually wake up he's like <laughs> yeah like can't catch his breath yeah. it's like it's a very anxious scene that works very well and the only dialogue from that first 15 minutes is him when he falls and he says no like twice mm-hmm. and you know and it's great but it's so well paced and so kind of like you know atmos- the film so atmospheric it sets up you know what's going to happen in the film so brilliantly it's just great it's just like you're in like if you're not enthralled by the first 15 minutes of this film you may as well turn it off you, it's yeah. it's it's probably not going to be for you like i mean yeah. like you don't even notice like how well methodically like well paced and like how the beats and everything kind of plays out and how it's shot and it's just great like you know that like to me, every time, and I, like I said, this is probably like the 10th time I've seen this film. Like that to me, still to this day, is still something that's like really impactful and great about this movie. It's just like, it, I, like, you know, as I'm watching it, it's just like, God, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's captivating. It really is. It's the way that it's shot. It's the, um, it's the score 
because the score itself, especially at the beginning, and you're not really, you know, at the beginning of any movie, you're kind of like, I'm not really sure how this movie's going to be. Is it going to be darker? Is it going to be like lighter in tone? Well, the opening really sets it up for you because it's dark. Uh, you get that nice orchestral score of very menacing, uh, you know, strings, uh, like showcasing, like, you know, this is probably not going to be like a happy ending movie, you know, when you're already getting, you know, even before they've started to dig for oil, you're already getting these very menacing strings happening. You know that it's not going to be like this happy go lucky movie. Um, when you kind of compare it to like some of the earlier Western movies that would have had like some nice jaunty music overlaid over, <laughs> you, you know, it's a definitely gives a different vibe um for for this movie but yeah expertly shot expertly paced at the beginning of the movie um the the fact that it has no dialogue is really like not it's, it's pretty much lost on it like you don't even it's not necessary doesn't not needed you don't notice really until after you think about it and you're like that yeah that didn't have any dialogue um you don't notice that it's occurring and not only that too when you go into the first you know after the 15 minutes and you see you know uh Dale Day-Lewis and his son, uh, which we see through that first 15 minutes, you know, his son, he's adopted because one of his cohort, you know, people that he was partners with as he's, you know, building an oil, you know, discovering oil, you know, gets killed by, by you know, <laughs> wood off a of derrick breaking and yeah. sl- slamming into his head, you know. Fucking so, traumatic experience yeah. of basically you know and he's in there too so because that's that's one of the big things about there will be blood and something that you're kind of like constantly or physically reminded of with with daniel day lewis as um the character playing the character is that he was you know in his search for oil he was physically there and he brings that up a lot it's like he's not just like a surveyor who comes in and says yeah there's oil there to like dig he's been there he's done it he's done the digging and that whole opening sequence shows, you know, the the depths that he will plumb. Um, it's a a pun, but also um, quite literally, what he will do to to you know become this oil tycoon. He he does it. He he's the one that does it himself. And so you see that like traumatic experience of him in the pit with the other guy. Other guy gets fucking railroaded. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> slammed with a nice foley thud. Um, where you don't really, you know, you don't see the brutality of it, but you see Danny Day Lewis's reaction of like, "Holy fuck," you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it's that's yeah, it's great. It's, yeah. And he, so he he adopts the man's son as his own, and he you know he's his business partner, and uh, you know we s- see them come into the area, and Dale Day Lewis gives an amazing speech. Rousing, very rousing, you know, about, you know, how he's come to town and because they've this town has found oil. Now, I'm a a family and not just a family man. I'm also this is my son, H.W. He's my business partner. And I'm here. uh, We all know you have oil. And I am an oil man myself. I have I've traveled halfway across this great state to be here. And I have plenty of wells already up and running. And now I can get you a well up and running in 10 days. If you allow me to take part in it, other men won't know what to do. They're not down there like I am. And now I offer, I make a good promise, good promise. And it's just like, again, he's so captivating and like 
Mm. His huckstering that he's doing, the, his sales pitch, is comes across as much more genuine and authentic than like what we'll see in others. Like, you know, of how like, you know, if you probably were sitting on that land, you'd probably be like, yeah, you might as well sell it to him because, I mean, what are we going to fucking do with oil? Mm-hmm. You know, we had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they set it up. He's a good yeah. business. He's, you know, he's a good businessman. He has great speeches. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, that is why he is successful yeah. in his endeavors because he's able to kind of rouse a group of people who want to work with him, even though, you know, as we will see, they're prone to accidents, right? Like, you know, oil drilling itself is a, especially at this time, is a very dangerous profession. Um, lots of mistakes. You know, it's not machine driven by any means. So, um, but he's, he's, he's able to maintain his crew. What's also great, too, about that first speech, too, because it's not the town that he ends up settling on because he ends up going to Little Boston after, you know, he yeah. you know meets uh paul sunday but with that speech it was at the town hall and uh you know they're all like people are yelling and trying to discuss what to do and it's just great because in the one part one guy's yelling like keep that woman quiet <laughs> yeah <laughs> like <laughs> and then like as you know they're arguing he just goes you know what and he leaves and they're like wait mr Plainview, mr Plainview." he's like no i he's like i changed my mind I don't want it. I don't. In fact, I don't need it. You couldn't sell this to me, even if I wanted it. And he just <laughs> walks off. As you, you know, you see, you know, oil, you know, spilling from where you know it was struck. You know, it's pretty damn cool. You know, to see that. And he's just like, yep, yeah, yep. And he moves yeah, and, off. And and not only that, but like that is again where I, what I was talking about, where you see kind of see like his stooped, hunched figure, where he's kind of like got a limp of seeing like, yeah, mm-hmm. this guy has been literally dating and it's physically taken its toll on him already you know yeah. he's not a very old man at this point um and it's already taken this toll on him uh, so you kind of like get that nice that nice <clears throat> um development of his character without it actually having to be said and i think that's kind of a big thing in there will be blood is that you do get a lot of development of his character without really being told a lot about it. Uh, there's not really a backstory to Daniel as a person besides us seeing him like strike the silver. You don't really see like motivations in terms of like, well, why is he so driven to be an oil tycoon? Why does he want to be this man with the money? Um, you kind of get that later on as we start to hear, you know, he's, he's a competitive man. Uh, he, you know, he has it in his heart that he's competitive and that he wants to win and succeed. Um, but you don't, you're not really ever given a very like in-depth portrayal of like, this is him. This is who he is. This is, uh, you know, what led him to this life. It's really all kind of left as a mystery and you kind of just piece it together throughout as how he reacts to situations and what he, uh, what he ends up doing, which I, I like a lot. Like it doesn't really treat its viewer as. It, like they need an explanation it just kind of goes about its business and you start to pick up those little pieces as you go along um i'll be honest with you when we first saw paul and then saw eli i thought eli was just being like like <laughs> his his name i was just like w- w- oh. winking like yeah, wink, like, yeah like at first because i was just kind of like oh 
he just gave him a fake name, right? Like, <laughs> but no, no, Paul, Paul is like the the bad brother. He's the bad twin. Um, you know, the one who's basically smart enough to go to uh, Daniel and say, "Hey, I've got some land here, and I'm going to fucking sell off sell off my family, and um, I'll be out of your hair." Uh, I do love too when like uh, they're having their talk, and he's like, "Give me five hundred dollars." Like, well, tell me what you know, and he's like, "No, it's sick, you know." I'll give you a hundred dollars. And if you know, you're right, I'll give you this. And he's like, no, no, I want $600. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, when he tells Daniel what he wants to know, Daniel's like, all right, here's the money. He goes, now, if you lie to me, I will find you and I will get my money back. Yeah. He's like, I'll, I'll be taking more than money. I'll be yeah, taking just, more than my money. You know, and, it's you know great because it's very you know menacing because it's showing that sec- you know that other side of Daniel because again up until that point all we have seen you know is the the image that he's trying to portray as you know family man and you know you know businessman and yeah you can trust and here you're seeing like that ruthlessness to him like you know that element fu- of oh, yeah like if you fuck me over it's gonna it- be more than the money I'm coming for. Yeah, the the element of the the undertone of yeah. you know what he's saying that starts to keep coming out, and as the film goes on, more and more of that undertone becomes more of an overtone. Yeah, um, it's really great because it it, it starts out very you know nonchalant. Uh, he's a you know as the audience we get as a family man, and then eventually like with uh Paul, we do see that to a certain extent. And Paul's you know he's not really that scared of him. And he's actually kind of shrewd. You know, Paul's kind of shrewd as a as a uh, person who doesn't really know that much about oil. Um, he, he he's done his research. He knows um, enough to kind of barter. And then later on, even after that, once you know things have kind of gone south for Daniel a bit, and uh, you know people are constantly trying to step in and like take over from what he's done and take over his land and try to like kind of outsell him. Um, you get that that nice sequence where he's in the bar making that uh, contract. He's he's uh, talking to another you know oil company uh, representative. And he's basically I will I will come to your house and I will slit your throat. Yeah, when he's, he's talking like, to Standard Oils, it's yeah. fucking great because like you start to see that barrier breaking down of like eh, he's kind of losing it. Like he you know before that would have been an undertone where he would have mm. been you know callous, but. You know, it wouldn't have come out like that. But at this point, he's he's kind of lost that like good naturedness that he can put on as a facade, um, which is a really great menacing moment. Uh, the film has a lot of those, you know, in terms of uh, what we talked about as an anti-Western, some of those like um, one-on-one scenes are really good, like almost like Western style standoffs, uh, but in more dialogue than actual, you know, gunslinging. Um, it's great. So in terms, so like when, once, uh, you know, Daniel rolls into this uh, little Boston, um, obviously for the greatest, this is one of my favorite lines. that's always stuck with me. Oh, what are you doing here? We're, we're out here hunting quail. My boy and I, we're hunting quail. <laughs> this is my son, HW, and I'm going hunting quail. We, if that's okay. Oh. Do you have anything to drink? We'll get you water. Would you like goat's milk? That'd be delightful. <laughs> That's your favorite scene is just the goat's milk? 
No, it's not my favorite scene, but it's one that's one that's always uh, it's always stuck with me. It's like, what are you doing here? We're out here hunting quail. Do you have anything to drink? Uh, we have water. We also have goat's milk. That'll do. Do Do you have any bread? Uh, we only have potatoes. We're sorry. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, the I mean, how they I mean, how they greet them because like they're basically they're so upstanding. Him coming onto their property, he's like, "Yeah, I'm hunting quail. Like, uh, heard this is a good place." And they're like, "Yep, you can stay. Uh, you can hunt your quail here." And then they like proceed to go and fetch li- literally everything. I get. I think it's well, meant no, to no, be hold, like the hold religious on, hold on, element. Hold on, hold on. Abel doesn't do shit. He has his daughter. Right, yelling, yells at her twice. Fill up the pail. <laughs> get the water. Get the milk. Well, we'll help you make a fire. No, it won't be necessary. Teaching my son H.W. how to make a fire while we hunt quail. Like, it's but, funny. This is, It's just great how he says hunting quail because it's like, wink, wink. Like, yes, we're not really hunting quail. We're out here, you know, to scout for, you know, places, you know, if it's, you know, good to drill. Mm-hmm. You know, because your son sold you out. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I do, and, I, and I do love, too, the... the, the the poetry and rhyming of that this family of religious folk that they're less and you know as we find out with eli you know being a preacher and starting his own church of the third revelation that their last name is sunday you know that's great absolutely yeah yeah i i love when they come upon the the house there yeah. and because it is such a like kind of an awkward scene especially as they you know they're very inviting because it's like that sort of religious element of uh you know help the stranger so they do live it and you kind of see how they're living as well which is very as a stark contrast to you know what would be industrialized in this area um so they're john marston picking rocks for their farming (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) like like, oh what do you guys farm up there at beecher's hope boulders (laughs) (laughs) nothing (laughs) can't grow shit here um yeah it's uh like it all sets in a nice element in motion. And then eventually they do build the Derek here and, you know, it's at kind of an at odds with some of what has gone on in the town, but most people do want this because, you know, well, how can you pass it up? You, you can't grow shit here in this town. It's all desert barren land. And so what are you going to do? You're going to capitalize on the money that these, you know, these rich folk, or what, how it seems rich folk are bringing in. Um, and ultimately, Eli gets his church built. The one that he, you know, a church that he really wants to build and has been meaning to build. He gets the money to build the church. And so, you know, it kind of sets into the movie, these religious themes of uh, religion versus capitalism of money, like, and how they kind of go together. Um, and the charlatan elements to both men are kind of put in on display as foils for each other, you know, cause they're, they have similarities that they don't like about each other. And that's kind of a through line that will happen throughout. There will be blood is, you know, how are these guys similar, even though they have very different like worldviews. Um, obviously Daniel even says to Paul at what one point, because he asked him about his faith. He's like, you know, what, what's your faith? And he's like, I like all faiths. I'm a fan. I'm, you know, 
I don't I don't subscribe to any one faith, but I like I like them all. And um But all, I'll say that's also great because of the dichotomy there. It's it's literally yin and yang, but it's also the same too, because like uh as we see throughout the film, like Daniel is willing to you know use the church and religion as a self, like he projects himself as like, you know, a family man, a religious man, you know, we'll do this for God and he doesn't give a shit. And it's the same thing too when we see, you know, with Eli in the church, like he espouses, you know, these religious prophecies and ideas, but at the same time he is, you know, a sinner and falling for the same trappings of capitalism himself. So it's just great because like, again, like it's great when you know, he's they're talking about when, like, as you're talking about how little Boston is, you know, this po dunk, you know, nothing grows <laughs> here. Not when Dan, they when he buys and leases up all the land in the area, he basically makes a company town out of it. And he's like, you know, I got my men here, and my men here, they're, they're more than just men because we are a family business. This is my son here, HW. <laughs> uh, we encourage the men to bring their families here because this is a family. Families and that keeps the men happy. With families being here, the kids being here, that means we need schools because education is very important. And I believe that everybody, you know, should have an education. And it shouldn't be. It's the same thing. Let's let's talk about bread. I think it's dishonorable that a family can't have a loaf of bread. So with the drilling, we'll become. We'll start drilling wells. Which means irrigation, which means you can grow all the grain that you want. Crops will grow here that you have never been able to grow before, and you will be able to have. Mm-hmm. And that means roads and improvements. And then Eli goes, Will there be a road to the church? He's like, That's right, Eli. There will be a road. That'll be the first road built. Any- <laughs> you know, he says that to quell him, and he's like, Anything else? Okay. Then he leaves. <laughs> you know, he leaves. So again, like he's using, you know, using that spirituality. As a means to huckster, you know, and sell, you know, sell what he's, you know, the the drilling that he's doing. Yeah, and it's just and it's just great because again, like it's the, you know, what even though they seem like they're two different people with two different things, you know, they go hand in hand. They're both, you know, yeah, the same. I mean, I mean Paul, awesome. Paul Dano is is really good at this role. I mean, in a very punchable. <laughs> very dislikable manner because i i do think eli as a person in this movie really sucks and is probably he may be a little bit more uh, maybe not even maybe he's more unlikable than daniel in a lot of situations um especially like kind of the one scene that you really get well there's two but one scene that stands out in particular is when he's at home after he's just been thrown in the mud and you know daniel's basically made a fool of him embarrassed him in front of everybody, you know, beat him up, slapped him, not yeah. beat him up. Yeah. Slapped <laughs> just him. Gave, gave slapped him silly, slapped him around in a mud, just bitch slapped him over and over again. Like, I'll leave you in the mud. Uh, I will leave you in the mud. You lie. But the, uh, like the, that stands out when he gets home and he's just sitting there and he's still all mud, <laughs> just sitting at the dinner table is staring at Abel. And he's basically like, you're, you're a stupid man, Abel, you know, cause you get that dichotomy again, like you said of, you know, he, oh, he's a religious man, but here he is just absolutely berating his father, you know, kind of like with murderous intent here 
Well, not only that, too, I mean, you could say the same thing about Abel, too, because Abel also, we know, isn't a good person because right. he beats his daughters. And that's, you know, and another thing that, like, I mean, it's good because H.W. is friendly and keen on Mary, one of Abel's daughters. And she's the one that says that she's been beaten. But after the Derek's being built and they're having, like, their big picnic, you know, to celebrate and. He's sitting by Abel, and as Mary's running around, she's got a brand new dress on. He just grabs her, and Daniel goes, you know, how do you like a dress? She's like, you know, and she's kind of, she, you know, she's scared, and he's like, yeah, it's good. You like a dress. It's good. You'll have more things about that. And the hitting, the hitting stop, hasn't it, Abel? Hasn't it? <laughs> and like, looking at him like, that's right. No more hitting. And, you know, just, you know. Yeah. Like, it's not like he's doing it out of the kindness of his heart. Sure. He's, you know, he's doing it for HW, but also at the same time, too, it's also a power play for him. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, he's getting off on the fact that, you know, he's, you know, superior to Abel, that he, you know, this is his daughter, and he's like, no more, be, you know, that he's taking charge, you yeah, know. He's taking over basically the whole town. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other great scene with paul dano where you're like oh, i hate this guy <laughs> is when he's you know when they're in that you know the pre-built church there's the church isn't the full church hasn't been built yet and there's an l- older lady and he's like you you've you've been struggling with the arthritis haven't you um, <laughs> i just love that he says that yeah, like that the arthritis. Not, arth- not arthritis the arthritis in your head <laughs> yeah and you know he does his whole you know <laughs> Fake, I'm driving out the devil. Yeah, the ghost, the, the ghost. ghost in this one. Yeah, he's like, come on, ghost be gone. It's great because it, it's, it's, it, Paul Dano does a great job and it also makes the, the viewer laugh because it's, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, it's, you know, if you've ever seen any like televangelized, yeah, televangelism, yeah. you know, it's very, it's very Reverend, Pe- Reverend Peter Popoff bullshit. Like, <laughs> take my spirit water and your bills will be paid. Come on. Give me, give me two hundred dollars, and I swear the spirit water will make you walk again, even though your legs have been blown off. You know, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. Like charlatanism, and it's great too because the best part about that whole scene is at the end because Daniel was sitting in the church watching, and you know he's talking to Eli about it, and he's like, "What the hell is that? Like, what do you mean?" He's like, "What? What was that?" He's like, I'm healing these people. He goes, well, that was a goddamn good show you just put on there. He you know, walks off like, like it's great. And, you know, it's like, it's, oh, I guess that's fantastic. I love it. So, you know, obviously leading up to the whole idea that this, you know, Daniel will eventually become an oil tycoon. Um, you know, there's a lot of strife that goes into that as well. And, you know, that's part of the title, there will be blood, um, of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears basically, but also the literal sense of there will be blood. Uh, eventually he does, you know, meet up with who's a guy who says he's his brother, Henry, and they have some business dealings with each other. And eventually, um, Daniel finds out like, yeah, this guy's probably not my brother. Uh, you know, he's probably just saying that and it kind of is interesting because it all comes about because he asked him for money and he's like hmm i want to give no 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 money no no what sets him off is when they're at the beach and he's just kind of sitting there and he's like when henry's like we should get women and uh liquor and then you know and then daniel says just like at the peace tree whatever huh 
And then he doesn't say anything. He's yeah. like, just like that, the peach tree, huh? <laughs> and that's when he's like, hey, he doesn't remember, you know. Yeah. And that's just great because he just like stares and then he w- goes into the ocean and he's like, like got this, you know, the murderous intent of like, yeah. this isn't my fucking brother. Yeah, it's, it's kind of where that, you know, all the murderous intent really like where we really start to see that come out where the blood itself is really coming mm-hmm. out. Um, I think they do a really good job of setting that up where, again, the movie is not like overtly violent or disturbing, but it has these moments of, um, you know, areas where you see the the depths that Daniel will go to do what he wants to do and, and be the best. And you start to see that breakdown of, uh, you know, the family man that he kind of thinks he is and who he truly is or where, you know, what, what this kind of lifestyle is leading him to. Um, and that's pretty evident too, when, you know, after, uh, HW gets blown up in the Derek fire, uh, blown off the roof and um loses his hearing and eventually Danny is like nope this is I've been dealing with this fucking shit for too long uh you're going somewhere <laughs> and just fucking puts him on a train and <laughs> jumps off the train and, <laughs> and ferries him on his way <laughs> it's whoo it's a you know and and that's set up too when you know Basically, he goes back to the Derek after he gets his ears blown off. Like he's like, "Oh, you know what? He can't hear right now." But he goes back and he's like, "You're trying to put the fire out." And he's laughing about it and he's like, "What? You know what? Are you what are you laughing? Why are you looking so depressed? Look at this money make down there." You know? He's like, "It's oil. Look at all this oil that we got. There's an ocean of oil underneath us." And um, yes, the other guy asked him like, "Fletcher, is yeah, H- is, H- is HW okay?" It's like, no, he's not. <laughs> it's just very matter of fact. Like, he's not. It's kind of Wes Anderson. He can play like Q up to like, like, you know, like uh nice Mark Mothersbaugh score. Cause, but no, cause it is great. Cause like, you know, as you know, the rigs, you know, on fire and they're watching it and they're seeing the money that they're about to make. And he's like, you're right. And he's like, HW, how's HW? Is he okay? No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, and then Fletcher Fletcher runs off the deal with him, and he's just sitting there looking at it, like you know, not yeah, all through the night, just staring at it, like you know, dollar signs in his eyes. Uh, like, a but to be fair, character. but to be fair though, I mean, if there's like, I mean, what would take priority? You know, making seeing what's wrong with your son or letting the whole town burn down because the Derek's up and you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that, though, because it really sets in motion like, you know, you're starting to see that element to him. He's not such a family man. And, you know, obviously we know the kid is not his. Truly, it's not his kid. He's taken over and kind of helped out. But do you think that Daniel ever really had emotions for HW or do you think? No, I mean, I I think that the film is pretty clear that he does. He does have emotions for HW as a. As a kid that he's raised, I do think that he does. And I think that's part of the the element of there will be blood of like that capitalism, that that drive for capitalism He, in his mind. He, you know, he was at one point a family man, a guy who was trying to do his best, raise HW as his own and eventually 
what that did, you know, that drive for capitalism to be the best, to be the one that was going to be, you know, the big oil tycoon ruined him, even though at the end of like, cause at the end of the movie, we could see like, Oh, look at the fucking mansion he's living in. You know, it's 19 was like 1920 something. 1927. Yeah. yeah. 1927. He's living in a big fucking mansion. And, uh, what is he doing? He's like shooting shit in his mansion, you know, basically like run, running it down he's got two fucking bowling alleys and he's miserable as all hell and doesn't see his son anymore. just drunk as shit yeah and he doesn't see his son anymore and it's kind of shows that you know yeah he succeeded right he's he became the big oil tycoon uh he's got all this money he's, he's got the you know the nice house and yet he lost everything else that really first of all really made him kind of go for this this goal um which I think is really great, especially considering the fact that um, like we do see that encounter between him and H.W. later on, who's H.W. is very happy now. He's getting married to Mary. Um, he's going to be moving because he's also kind of taken over the business and he's starting his own business. And all, you know, Daniel can see his competition. He says, well, you're going to be my competition now um, if you start a company like this. I, I, I'm not going to see it as, you know, like some you know, good old fashioned, uh, you know, family business. It's you're my direct competition. Um, which is, it's really funny because it's very different from where the movie started in terms of, you know, the, the motivations that we see from Daniel. So I, yeah, I do think he, that the intention is that he really did care for HW and that just got in the way and just kind of ruined the rest of his life. Um, because of capitalism and becoming an embittered drunk uh, yeah and, and that too um with paranoia but also too i think the film doesn't really because again we don't we don't know daniel's backstory the film leaves a lot open to interpretation and to the imagination i think too with the whole fact that after because when Henry shows up, you know, as his long lost half brother. Um, that happens right as, you know, HW, you know, has this traumatic experience where, you know, he loses his hearing through the oil rig, uh, Derek explosion. Um, and with him sending HW off not that long after to a school in San Francisco, you know, for the death. We see him pretty readily, you know, take on Henry as a friend and a partner and, you know, discussing with him, you know, secrets and stuff and talking about, you know, their family and the like, you know, stuff back in Wisconsin where they're from. It seems that, you know, from that, you know, those interactions and he, he's really longing for some type of family connection. That, you know, he doesn't have and can't have and that he's kind of filling the void with. And so when Henry, when he finds out that Henry is just a con man, he was a friend of Henry that when he died of tuberculosis and he finds that out, that's why, you know, it tips him over the edge and he shoots him right in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, but, you know, yeah. yeah. When he finds out that Henry is actually dead, he has that like whole, you know, the whole scene where he's sobbing, where he's reading through the diary and. He's sobbing because yeah, there is that that element of like I think he has he has two sides, especially at that point, right? He's cause he 
you know, he d- really did love HW, but he had to send him away because he felt like it was uh, the only way for him to continue his business while still trying to help HW mm-hmm. get the help that he needed. Um, and then, you know, like, cause you, you can't keep chugging milk and vodka for where, whatever he's given. Right. I think, I think it was brandy. He's like, yeah. oh, brandy, yeah. like, don't <laughs> milk, like, drink up, drink up. That's a painful scene too, to watch him drink that whole milk glass down. Oh um, yeah. And it takes a long time for him to yeah. tilt that back. And, and actually that brings up a good point too. The, um, the movie does a really great job of showcasing, uh, like really uncomfortable elements. Um, like for one thing, like it does a good job of showing like how miserable it probably was to be living in that desert new, you know, little Boston. Uh, Cause everybody's constantly, you know, when they, we first see those opening scenes, everybody's constantly sweating, uh, you know, being bundled up <laughs> in like for a four piece suit. Like you got your little hanky that they're always pouring out. Like even just walking into like the realtor's office, he's like pulling out a hanky cause it's fucking sweaty as all hell. Seems like a miserable experience. Um, the movie's really good at showing miserable experiences and uh, like the guys down the, the Derek holes with like, you know, their covers and their galoshes yeah. and everything. And then, the, you know, the bit dropping down, killing one of the workers, you know, like just like what happened to HW's father and Daniel back, you know, a decade earlier, you know. It's great. Yeah, no, you're right. It really shows like, like, yeah, this is a, what would not be a great place to live or a great time for it. It looks, <laughs> no. looks like hell on earth. Yeah. The only thing that looks inviting is the the pipe smoking, which I think Dana Day-Lewis, you know, does a great, you know, it makes it look like a, a fun pastime. And cigarette smoking looks yeah. great. And the, the, uh, the, and the, the canters. Drinking. I would yeah. say the decanters of whiskey just lying around. Yeah. yeah. So he's, uh, you know, the those vices. Always look really good in movies like this because everybody, you know, not only that too, because we we do know as time progresses on the film, like Daniel's uh, drinking does increase. Like you know, because again, like as the film goes on, we do see him get more flushed, more you know, like like kind of that deep alcoholic sweat look to him. The film does a great job in getting that all across. With literally just that and the short little scenes where you see him off to the side, like taking a nip from his, you know, flask. Mm-hmm. So as we see him in 18, because again, the film starts in 1898 and ends in 1929. The transition over that, those 30 years, you know, you can see it. Sure. And it's not, you know, it's not spelled out for you. They're these quick little things, but they're meaningful little background that's added to the film, you know. And that's just another smart thing they do the encounter at the the restaurant when um hw is back with his dad and uh when the other oil guys walk in oh that is so cringy uncomfy (laughs) uh you know for him to let you know he quaffs his uh whiskey and he puts a like a sheet over his head and like starts pretending like he's the other not only that not only that they first because it's great because you can tell one like we don't see him already drinking before the scene but when he's there talking to hw he can tell he's a little drunk because he's like rubbing his head he's like oh my boy you're good so good to be back he's like sweat like got that alcoholic sweat he's like i know waiter give me a whiskey the boy of goat's milk and two steaks, two year steaks. Thank you, thank you. And then when the Standard Oil guy that walks in, that you know he had an incident with when they were trying to buy his uh, 
leases out for a million dollars, and he was insulted by the fact that they asked him how HW was doing because he took that as his manhood and authority and him as a father figure being challenged. He took that as a slight, and as you were talking about, he mentioned, like, I will I will find you in your sleep. I will cut your throat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, after, you know, he runs into him, and they give the whiskeys to the Standard Oils guys first. He's like, I believe I ordered first. And then when he grabs yeah. him, drinks. It's, and yeah, then, it's, like, and he, yeah, you say he puts on a show, and he goes up to him, like, who's the fool now? You feel pretty foolish, don't you? You're the fool. It's so uncomfortable. It's it's yeah. really like you know it's an awkward scene. It's uh it just gives you the heebie-jeebies to like be in that situation. And the guy, you know, to be honest with you, the Standard Oil guy, he handles it very well. He's just kind of yeah. like, "Yes, I am. I I am." Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, he did and say he did too with the whole like when uh you know they had their first exchange because like when he said that he's like Jesus Christ, Daniel, I didn't mean to offend you. He's yeah. like, I'm sorry. And then he's like, he's like, nope. I'm going to build that goddamn pipeline and sell it to Union no matter what. Fuck you and walks off, you know? <laughs> I know. He's like, As like why would you say that? Pipe? Why, why are you saying that? You know, just like very matter-of-factly. It's, yeah. I, I love that guy, to be honest with you. Because he is such, like, because it does make Daniel paint him even in an even worse light. Because he's really been, as we've seen, really nothing but cordial. He, like, legitimately does seem like he cares about H.W. as his son and, like, well, I hope you get to spend some time with your son now, you know? Like, and I love, too, when he was, you know, he, uh, this is in the the first scene when Daniel's like, if I sell to you, then what would I do? You know, and he's like, um, I don't know what you would do. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, I don't know, because you can, you get that, you know, again, you get that uh, thing he's where no he's, 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 he's no searching way. for something because yeah. he doesn't have anything. You know, yeah, he doesn't know what else to do with his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's great. Uh, so I think like that guy be, you know, I don't even know what that character's name is, but he's just the standard oil, uh, like representative. Yeah. It's like being in the scene with Daniel Day Lewis. Tilford. Great, yeah, Tilford. Yeah, Tilford, H-M yeah. Tilford. Yeah. He's just, it's just a great like, um, encounter between them because it just kind of accentuates those elements of Daniel that are, you know, starting to, uh, break down. Um, and then of course, you know, at the end of the movie after, um, well, well before that, well, yeah, what would, would, would you think of, uh, when, uh, Eli's kind of got Daniel by the balls cause they got to get the bandy, you know, he's got to buy the bandy track to get the pipeline through cause he can't just go around the mountains and <laughs> ba- bandy was Don't there be to thick in front of me. <laughs> Bandy was there and knows that he murdered, you know, the con man because he woke up the next, you know, woke up the next morning and woke <laughs> him up and he knew that he's like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll sell it to you, but you need to find God. And he's like, why do I need God? And then he pulls the, you know, hands of the pistol that he used and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then basically Eli gets to do what he, you know, Daniel did to him in the mud pit and embarrass him in front of everybody and make him look like an ass. Yeah. I mean, I like the scene. I think that, um, again, it kind of showcases that Daniel will do anything. He doesn't really have any like self morals. He will do this because it's gotta be done. And 
even during that scene, you kind of can see him kind of laughing about it to himself as well because it's sort he's of mentally like, he's mentally bookmarking it as like he's ha- you know have you know Eli's putting his show on and being like you know you're baptizing the blood of Christ like yes yes yeah. I'm baptizing the blood of Christ you know and not only that but like you have him you know he's he's slapping him around yeah. and he's like yes I can't feel yeah, it I can't, can't feel <laughs> I can't feel the Lord um yeah you could tell like that's you know to him it's not the end of the the you know their uh encounters Con- with each other yeah. you know yeah. this is this is him taking a loss in the you know this particular Lose, battle losing the yeah like, losing the battle yeah to win the war yeah but it's great though cuz it's just like you know you can see like how you know you just fed up and annoyed with the nonsense and but at times, though, when he's, you know, set when Daniel, I mean, when Eli's, you know, making him say that he sinned and, you know, that part he, you know, doesn't, he's not genuine about. But when he says you need to say that you abandoned your son and when he says that he does say it, you know. Yes. Like he, like he, he needs it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I abandoned my son. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love that. And it, it sets up the the final moments between. Eli and and uh, Daniel when they eventually are you know it's 1928. Uh, Daniel has now you know become the mogul, but he's also exceedingly miserable and a drunk, basically laying on his bowling alley, uh, drunk out of his mind. You know, basically un unrousable, drinking Everclear and eating the toughest steaks known to man. Just. I do love how he just goes, he just goes you, to town housing those steaks. Are you going to eat steak like that from now on for the longest time? We always talked about Uncle Rico and that <laughs> nice cut and sitting there standing up, but just just bare handing it and like you know because it's because it's well done, you know. So it's like you know having to rip it like you're goddamn in the wilderness, you know. It looks yeah, that's it. He just is absolutely tearing into that thing, um, and. Uh, yeah, basically, you got Eli coming in, and at first, you know, he's like, "I'm doing a great, I'm doing great, uh, things are going really well." Been on the radio, um, and you know, you kind of Daniel seems like he does know a little bit more to that because he's just kind of like sitting there, like, "Oh yeah, well, nice, that's that's great to hear." And then he kind of you get that the whole backstory of what happened with Eli. Um, you know, everything's kind of a sham. He is out of money, made some poor investments. Um, is is there because the stock market he's like and the lord lord why won't the that's the best part he's like why doesn't the lord give you the answer to these questions <laughs> and like and why must the lord always you know throw trials my way like it's so you know it's great because it's just you know it's the dismantling you know the total dismantling of eli's morals and beliefs and core and again like you know you have that you know, part of it that he's blown through the church's money, that he needs money, that the money that he was supposed to be, you know, using for the church, he put into investments. Cause again, we get to see, you know, him dressed up for the twenties. He's as preacher, he's pretty styling and profiling with his, you know, <laughs> big silver cross and his clothes and his hair. And also too, you know, when he's like talking about how he sinned, I think also too, 
I, maybe I'm very, you know, reading into it, but I think too with the whole when he's talking about, you know, the bandies and uh, bandies, you know, grandson, you know, inheriting the bandy track that uh, Daniel never bought and that he could sell it. But, you know, Bandy wants to come in Hollywood. He could be great in movies because he's very handsome. I think, you know, it's a very, th- it's a thinly veiled, like, you know, reference to that, you know, Eli also might be gay. That's another re- way how he's, you know, sinned. Mm-hmm. Again, very thin. You, I could very well be reading too much into it or not. But again, it's something that's there. And it's also, you know, another nice little layer to it and it's great watching you know daniel use eli's weakness and moment of you know being you know falling apart that you know daniel makes him like say like you're a false prophet and that you know god doesn't exist and makes him say it over and over again he's like oh yeah i already drilled under there yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a an interesting concept because basically it is the the alternative of Daniel selling himself out, right? Like he, you know, he he sold himself out. It basically got baptized because it was what was necessary for him to yeah. do what he needed to do. And in this case, you know, I would I would argue that it's kind of a, it's a little bit worse um, for Eli because it does show how little he actually respects his you know, what he's kind of devoted his life to. Um, but it, it does paint them in the same picture that they both have been corrupted by capitalism to some extent. Um, whether it be religion that they've devoted their life to, or whether it be, you know, the search for oil, uh, to be the best oil baron around, uh, it doesn't really matter. They both kind of are able to just throw their morals to the wind have very little self-respect for themselves if it's you know for what they're what they believe in um and you you get that that you know that just com- comparison between the two that they you know while while they don't like each other while they think they're very different they are very much the same and kind of the american way of religion and capitalism um well now i say well not only religion i would say more specifically prosperity gospelism mm-hmm. evangelism um you could definitely say it's more of the critique because what is the prosperity gospel but fucking capitalism in religious form again like the whole idea of like you know this god will bless you know bless you with a billion dollars if you you know just put a dollar in the box (laughs) you know it's it's you know i think in a sense again they're both cretinous terrible human beings again daniel actually kills two people in this movie uh, where Eli, we don't see, does. But again, I would say Daniel is the more tolerable person because, again, he is a moral. He's totally moralist. He's there to, you know, make money and do what's best for him. There's only one person he's looking out for, and that's him. Eli, being the prosperity gospel preacher, wraps it up in morality that's you know, makes, I think, philosophically him more of a cretinous person because it's, he, you know, his lie is greater in the fact that he's selling you morals and salvation where at least, even though 
Daniel does too. Again, like with the whole like building a Derek, we'll build a school and roads and all this great sh- stuff. At least though, if there's money there, the money's there and th- th- there'll be a part of it. They're not going to get nearly as big as a cut as he's going to get, but at least that's tangible. You know, the salvation that Eli sells is not tangible. That's more of a lie. Right. I think. Yeah. They're both lies, but I think that's the bigger lie though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we haven't even talked about the actual, you know, pop culture reference that everybody picked up on uh, from this movie. No, we already did. It was the quail hunting. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, if they talked about anything back in 2007, it was, I drink your milkshake. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, everybody took that from this movie and they kind of used it. But... It's not really meant to be, you know, it's not a good thing in this movie that, you know, he's saying these, these words. It's, it's basically the, it's the culmination of capitalism, right? I will suck you dry for my own benefit, for my own gain without you even knowing it. And it kind of sums up the whole idea of, you know, not just the oil, you know, the oil itself in this context, but capitalism and how it sucked up both of them to some extent and spit them out and left these husks of men that they are, um, which is kind of, it, you know, yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's a great metaphor that is used and it's used in such a way that, you know, it's, it's obviously meant to be, you know, Daniel winning, right? Cause Daniel technically wins this match. He, uh, gets the best of Eli then murders him <laughs> but he With gets bowling pin yeah but he gets the best of him uh and you know technically wins but that you know the ending where it just ends with him saying I'm done um, I'm finished yeah yeah I'm I'm finished it's uh and then that glorious music playing but uh yeah no it's great again it's beautiful and i love too when he's like whipping the bowling balls down as you mentioned too before the podcast whipping them down the lanes and they hit like one either hits that bottle of water whiskey or whatever and it just you know shoots right across like into the camera which you can tell that wasn't probably intentional like you daniel day Lewis just sitting there heave hoeing the bowling <laughs> balls down the alley they yeah. just you know they were like, use it. use it. Yeah, like like that looks great. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like a perfect shot of the pot flipping around and the water right. hitting the camera. It's great. Um, I I mean, it's it's a really great. So one thing I wanted to bring up though is that I did uh you know I read some reviews and people um that didn't like this movie or said they didn't like it. Um, one of their main complaints was that it doesn't say anything new, right? It doesn't say, uh, you know capitalism bad is what you can boil it down to and it doesn't say anything new so how do you feel about that as a as a critique of the movie is it does it is it too simple in the way that it presents its themes or uh no because it's boiled down to a great character study like yeah capitalism bad but we get to see literally two are two, you know, protagonists and antagonists, their souls literally be rotted to the core. Again, we say at the end, Daniel won. Daniel didn't win in the end. He's a hollow, lonely man going to be having to pay off the police 
for another murder <laughs> and his son literally just left him because when he said he was going to start another business up and he wanted to go on his own, he told him he was a bastard, bastard in a basket and that, you know, he w- didn't come from him and he's, you know, not his, you know, he's not his family. He's in his competition now. So, no. It's, is like the, you know, the parable simple? Yes. But again, it's such a great character study in watching, you know, the souls of men being devoured into hell is what makes this film great. You don't have to have like this overly detailed, you know, motif going on for it to be a great film when it's wrapped up in this amazing masterpiece of acting, cinematography and everything. So, so yeah, and I, so. I definitely I, you know, I agree with that, too. I, I think that, you know, we have all kinds of uh, examples of parables that are simple, you know, of what they you know, the actual themes that they they say, but they are complicated in the way that it makes you think about them. And I think that that's true of There Will Be Blood. It doesn't need to have a, like, winding theme going on at its core to be effective. And the way that it's effective is because it shows the actual devolution of people wrapped up in capitalism, where it doesn't need to, you know, it doesn't need to be like explicitly showing us like, oh, look, look at all these towns and ruin, you know, or anything like that. It literally shows like the ruin of these two individuals. Um, Not only that, as you said before the show too, like you bet it's also great. Like they didn't show like Daniel becoming like, you know, there wasn't like a Scarface moment of like, push it to the limit. <laughs> right. Limit of him, like, you know, like the money just printing and like watching hit like the wealth build up and stuff. You know, we watch him, you know, get to a certain point and then bam, here's the future. And he's, you know, a fucking millionaire now. Like, you know, it's not what the film's focused on, too. And also, too, I think people who are bitching about that the morals too simple is somebody who just doesn't like, like, Oh, you're critiquing capitalism? How dare you? It's the only thing we got. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I definitely don't think it. It's not. It's not really worthwhile to compare it as you know, like oh, its theme is just can be boiled down to you know a simple statement. Because I think at the end of the day, Daniel Day Lewis puts in a hell of a performance here. Paul Dano does a really great job as well. Um, but honestly. Dana Day Lewis is the reason to watch this movie, uh, hands down. You know, he just does, he's just captivating entirely when he's on screen. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just one reason why you watch a movie, right? You don't just watch it, it like to come down at the end of the day, just be like, well, I like the theme. I like the movie. You know, it's, there's a lot of reasons why you would watch a movie. So I, I definitely disagree as well. I think it does a really great job. Usually, if there's a good theme and the film's dog shit, you're like, not like, well, the film was dog shit, but at least it's, but at least yeah. the moral at the but end I, was, you know, <laughs> yeah, I came away respecting <laughs> it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, I disagree. I think it's, you know, it's a really great movie, regardless of whether its theme is like can be boiled down to being simple. Um, so, um, real quick before we give this movie a rating, what would, what do you? 
uh, what would you say about the the score um, that was done by um, Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood? It's good. Um, the f- film does have a good score. It's definitely minimalistic and used in the right moments because, again, the film does let the ambiance and sound of a scene really kind of play out. But when it's there, the score definitely has like a nice, like uh, tense, brooding kind of sense of kind of a tread looming or about, you know, kind of like Jaws, like with the theme, like sometimes where it's like kind of just like that one scene where Henry and um. Daniel are in the woods doing their little uh, uh, measurements and stuff for the drilling. Mm-hmm. The yeah, yeah. That, that little clicky uh, staccato rhythm that it's got going on is great because it's like all kind of all over the place where you can't really pick it, out like an individual like rhythm to it. It's, it also goes great that. too because they were hammering in the stakes for like that yeah. marking the land. So like, you know, the yeah. Uh, I, I like that one a lot. Like, but I think that they do a really good job with showcasing, you know, kind of like the um, grimness of it all uh, throughout. Like, like I said at the beginning of the movie, you know what you're getting into. You know, it's going to be kind of a dark, brooding film at the end because of the way that it's kind of set out. Like, even the you know at the shots of like the noose kind of being drawn up, you know, going you, to make the Derek. It's great. You know what you're getting into. There will be blood. Um, all right. So we got to rate there will be blood. Um, so on a scale of zero to 10 goat's milk. So there's a lot of goat's milk in this movie. Yes, there is. It's, it's a lot, um, which I don't think yeah, I've ever uh, had in, in its entirety as like a actual glass of goat's milk. The almond milk of the day. Yeah, one would say. <laughs> apparently so. Apparently so. It's all over the place. Um, what would you give? There will be blood. I'll give it 10 out of 10. Ooh. This literally is one of my favorite films of all time. I love this film. I think it's great. I think close to 20 years later, it's still a standout, amazing film. It still works really well. Film's two hours and 40 minutes long. Doesn't feel like it at all. I don't know if you how many... I know you were watching it like in between some stuff, but like, did you feel the three hours of it? No, no, it yeah. d- it doesn't feel like it. So, I mean, it's a, a great, it's just a great movie. Daniel Day Lewis is amazing in this fucking great. Uh, probably my favorite performance by him. Paul Dano is fucking great in this. Such a cretinous little shithead. Paul F. Tompkins sitting in the corner. Got like fifth billing. <laughs> great job out of Paul F. Tompkins. But no, I mean, it's just a great movie. Watching, you know, the souls of men be rotted away and, you know, bo- sold off to hell in different ways, all in the name of a dollar, wrapped up in a beautiful period piece of the- <laughs> Something just went falling down at your house. Uh, I think it was uh, pots and pans that my, yeah. my wife is putting away. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, just watching, you know, the, the souls of these men be corrupted by the dollar and it's just told incredibly beautifully. It's just a 
amazingly well-done film. 10 out of 10. It's one of my favorite films of all time, and it still holds up to this day. So I cannot uh, praise it enough, and I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I would would give this a a 9 out of 10. I really, really liked it. I thought it was a great movie. Um, I definitely wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. I think it's really captivating, and I think that says a lot about Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, direction and writing here. Uh, But not only that, Daniel Day Lewis for sure is you know amazing in this movie. Uh, it's it's really hard to discount what he brings to it. You know, replace Daniel Day Lewis with another actor. I don't know if it would have been as good. You know, um, really hard to imagine that occurring. So, um, it's just it's hard to discount how much goes into this movie. And I don't even know if we've really done the discussion of it justice to talk about everything that you know, kind of goes on, um, that leads to the ending of the, the, you know, the conclusion. But, um, I think everything that goes into this, the detail, the sound, the music, it's all very well done. And I think I said, you know, earlier to Martin that this movie, you know, it's 17 years old, but it feels like it could have been made yesterday because there's a timelessness to it that doesn't really always come out in movies. You know, this one has a, um, you know, it has, it's a period piece, right? So it has that kind of going for it, but it has a timelessness of filmmaking that I think, you know, makes it even that much better when you're watching it because it's not really, it doesn't really stand out to you like any anachronism or uh sense of, you know, unrealness about it. It's very consistent in the way that it portrays everything. And um it's just a, an amazing movie, make movie watching experience. Um, that I think everyone should experience. Uh, it's, you know, definitely, if you haven't seen it, if you waited 17 years like me, rectify what? that and check it out. What are you doing? Yeah, like I would say, like it's kind of like got like a 1960s like classic style, you know, classic like film, you know, dedication to it. Like you like how kind of like watching today, like Lawrence of Arabia will feel timeless just because of the attention to detail Mm -hmm. constantly like that kind of like epic feel to the film Mm -hmm. um but yeah no it's like i said it's a great film yeah uh very very glad i i watched it so um all right so what are we doing what do we do next time i don't know what do you want to do next time i don't know i don't know if we've really decided yet were you serious about the next one or no? No, <laughs> I, I wasn't serious uh, about doing that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we'll, you know, we're going to take a break uh, for a week and then come back. And I'm sure, um, you know, did we run some... out of did we run out of a Valentine's Day themed horror films? I, I don't know. I might be able to come up with a few. Um, oh, well, Jesus Christ! Yeah, you, you now you wish you hadn't said that. Don't you? <laughs> um, no, I mean, um, I don't really have anything specific in mind, but I think, uh, you know, does Lacey Chabert have a <laughs> no, argument? Not another through through line of Lacey Chabert stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll 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 uh, check it out, and see what we can do. Um, I'm sure, there's I'm sure there's some stuff on here that we can. You know, I have a. It, every now and then, like things come to me that I want to do, and then I forget to like write it down. So then I. 
I wish you did, because that way we wouldn't end up doing fucking Django uh, cast. <laughs> I know. I should write him down, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I will. T- we'll take a take a look and see what we want to do for the next one. Um, but uh, I'm sure whatever we pick, it's gonna be fun. So with the new year, do us. Are we hopping back in the comic book train? Um, I I think that sh- that train has passed. Uh, <laughs> like it's it would be hard again it's it's now it's almost like thinking about like uh you know actually reading comics in in, in uh <laughs> starting something that's then been going on for years it's like how do you how do you get back into it so i don't know maybe but i i, I, was, I was i i was kidding about that because i was uh talking about uh zack snyder's star wars ripoff movie I don't know if I want to subject myself to that either. Three I hours Zach, long. I think I'm Zack Snyder filmed out. You're, <laughs> we've only done uh, what, like three? If I, but we're, we're, if I hear one more asshole be like, come on, man. His Justice League in seven hours is, is good now. Stop. Stop yourself. You're one of those people. Stop yourself. Yeah. Was it time that we finally revisit Wonder Woman 1984? No. Uh, I can't believe that was four four years ago. ago. Four years ago, it's still too soon to rewatch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Still too soon. Um, Yeah. Oh, Rebel Rebel Moon? Oh, that's the thing. Yeah, Rebel Moon. Yeah. The basic Star Wars ripoff. Are you ready for Dune? We can do like I didn't see the original, the first uh, Dude Volume 1 or whatever it was. Dune Part 1. Didn't watch it. Wow, you're right. It is Star Wars Part 2 because Sophia Boutella stars in it and she was uh, the lady in Han. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Han. I don't know. I'm so Star Wars out too. Alright, well, we'll f- we'll figure something out. So, uh, Thanks you're for listening. listening. Oh. We always do. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode on There Will Be Blood. Uh, Subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review on pretty much any podcast app you could think of. Uh, We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you use. Subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review. It always helps us out. Uh, We're on Facebook and Twitter. Search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com where you can write to us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what movies you want us to consider. Uh, And you can always donate to us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrum podcast or on our spotify page anything you donate will go back towards beer so we appreciate that in advance um hopefully tune in for our next episode should be back in two weeks um and we hope you enjoyed this one so until then take care